What's up, everyone? It's episode 65 of the Modern Journal Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from MikeSlessons.com, and my co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Journal Magazine. After Mike and I get all caught up, we will share a song with you that we are both freaking out over by Matt Chamberlain and Brian Haas. In our educational section, we'll talk about how long you should work on something before you know it's time to move on. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Ralph Peterson. In the gear review section, Mike will be checking out the new Zildjian Avidus series. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Oh, oh, that one. <laughs> so was that delayed on your end? I was I'd like a 30-second note early. Oh, on mine, <laughs> it was dialed. It was dialed. I, I literally went three. Okay, first of all, did I, I think I've told you. Did I tell you the story of my first jazz gig after touring where the guy kept saying the words like that after counting me in? No. So, so okay, so I get done touring, and I've been on the road for six years playing nothing but rock shows, and I want to start gigging. I'm in, my, um, I'm in a new town, so I take this jazz gig, and, and it's all standards. Like, it's old guys that yeah. I, I think they were – I mean, not old, but they were in their late 60s. So these guys – it was simple, simple stuff. So I felt comfortable taking the gig. Get there. The first thing they do is hand me a double XL Hawaiian shirt. And I was like, oh, yeah, boy, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. So I was like, all right, it's whatever. California jazz. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in San Luis Obispo. That was the town I moved to after touring. So I'm like, oh, my God, here we go. Um, and I've got 22 kick, 10-inch rack, 16-inch floor, and pretty much peisty roods is what I'm dealing with. Yeah, of course. Because uh, I just came off the road. So anyways um, – so we start the first tune, and it's just myself, a sax player, and a keyboard player, and that's it. So the keys guys just playing piano preset, and they're both they've both got the uh, the whiskey glass on their either their music stand or the or the piano itself, the keyboard. Nice. So I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a rough one. So, anyways, guy counts me in. He goes one, two, oh, one, two, three, four, like that, and then he starts playing after the words like that. What? Yeah, so we were in like five and a half, four. So I came in right after four, and he turned around and gave me the worst look. And he was, and and, because I didn't know these guys, and I was like, well, that was weird. Second song, one, two, oh, two, three, four, like that. And then that's the downbeat. (laughs) That can't be real. I swear to God, I'm looking over at at the piano player guy, and I'm like, are you hearing this? And he's like, just hammered, looking straight down. And I was like, what the hell? And then when we had intermission, the guy came up to me. He's like, what's going on with your time, man? And I'm like, are we talking about in the song? Because there, maybe there's some issues. I'm not the best. But are you talking about when you count me in in five and a half four by saying the words like that after? That makes, I'm like, do you understand that if you want to say like that, you need to say it earlier in the measure? You have to say one, two, a one, two, like that, uh. But it was one, two, oh, two, three, four, like that. And he always said it exactly. <laughs> Dude, it was the worst. Oh. Anyways, I wish I could we... meet this guy. Oh. And then he kept looking at me. And I'm like, I'm looking around and we're playing, you know, a restaurant. So I'm like, does anyone else, is there a doctor in the house? Does anyone hear what's going on here? It's not my fault. I keep coming in early. Anyways, it's clearly scarred me. I was 26 years old when that happened. That's 14 years ago. Yeah, that's How are you, bud? Good. That's pretty good. I'm, I'm cold, man. It is frigid over here. Oh, it came in. 
It did. Yeah, it's getting down to 40s now. Mm. Good, good stuff. You know what you need to get yourself is a nice hydro flask. (laughs) Uh, My pick of the week last time, and I got ripped for that one. Oh, yeah? Um, Why? uh, Apparently, it's not even remotely a new product at all. I was touting it like, check out what I discovered. (laughs) And like the entire (laughs) camping world just came down on me. They're like, you know that everyone has nine of these if you've ever walked up a dirt hill. I'm like, okay, no, I did not know that. I went into an REI because Amber wanted a jacket. I saw a cool thermos. I bought it. So I'll send you one, man. I do need one. I have an outdoor gig tomorrow, and it's supposed to be cold and rainy. Oh, and, and you don't even have to put put tea or coffee in it. You can put chicken soup in it. It'll stay warm all night. That's awesome. Boom. Bob's your uncle. <laughs> Anyways, other than the weather, how's everything going, bud? It's good. Yeah. I feel like we just talked yesterday. That's how fast the week goes by. So I know. No I know. major news. Just a bunch of same old, same old. Played some gigs, touched some gear, walked some dogs. You know, and that's, here we that's, are. Back that's to the, the world. Yeah. Well, I like it. Well, let's get into what we need to talk about. Uh, so... We have a bunch to talk about. We're going to talk about Ralph Peterson. We're going to check out some new gear. But I wanted to talk a little bit about educational stuff. Um, is that the first thing? Oh, no. We have to no. We have to talk about Matt. Yeah. You know oh. what? We also have to apologize to Nate Lotz for getting his name wrong like three times last week. Oh, yeah, I got ripped on that too. What, <laughs> how, okay. What did we say? It was different combinations. I think we were, combi- we were combining a list of questions name. We were calling him Nick. We were calling oh. him Ryan because he Ooh. plays with Ryan Adams. <laughs> Ryan. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I saw it on Twitter. Some guy's like, I am laughing my ass off at the nine times Mike, me, has gotten <laughs> Nate Lotz's name wrong. So, yeah, Nate, sorry, Nate. buddy. <laughs> and and, I'm, and all, the whole time I'm talking about what a huge fan I am of his, but – Clearly not. So well, you know that's it's funny. Again, we're amateurs, and I have so much respect for news broadcasters who barely ever screw up. Because there's a lot of times mm-hmm. when I'm editing the show, I'm like, "Holy crap! I said the wrong word." Like I just totally said the wrong word, not even thinking about it. <laughs> like I thought I was on point, and I used the wrong word. Could you imagine if we were covering nothing but European drummers? Like when these guys have to like talk about the news or or sports broadcasters, right? And they're yeah. like. Inka Pachukovic. I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure that's right? Yeah. But so every, uh, <laughs> every time so, I'm sitting there watching and I hear like whatever Mike Greenberg mess up, I'm like, oh, he messed up. And now, yeah, like, yeah. Well, he only yeah. messed up once in the past six months. <laughs> yeah, he does a three hour show every morning. <laughs> yeah. You know. So, uh, anyways, so sorry, Nate, Nate Lots, yeah. we are very sorry. And there's your sec- you, you got featured in two podcast episodes, so <laughs> you should. That's good stuff. Now, uh, you sent me a track. I started forwarding it to everyone I knew, and yeah. I was like, oh, this is this is what makes him our guy. Because we both have our favorite drummers, you and I separately, but then we this was one of our common ground things that allowed us to have conversation. Even if we don't believe about who should be president, we can at least talk about this dude. Right, right. And that guy is Matt Chamberlain. So do you have any history on this album, or do you need – how did you find it to send it to me? Uh, I think it was a press release, but – Matt had uh, – he did a duo record with um, Brian Haas, I believe his name is, pianist okay. um, from – I can't remember his other band. I'll probably maybe Google it. Uh, Brian Haas. He has a – it was like a kind of a popular jazz improv jam band thing 10 years ago or whatever. What is it? It is – I'm going to look it up now. Sorry, I was not prepared. Jacob Fred <laughs> Jazz Odyssey. Okay. That was his band. Uh, he, I think he's your age, actually. <laughs> what does that mean? 
old? He's old, actually. No, he's a couple <laughs> years older than you. Uh, I think he's just an old, old, worn-out man. Uh, so anyway, that that band has kind of been on our radar because they were it was like in the I, mean, I guess it was the early two thousands. They kind of came on the scene and they were playing jazz, but they weren't playing traditional jazz and they weren't playing traditional jazz venues. They were kind of tapping into the college uh, market. Okay, it was pretty cool. So he did a record with Matt Chamberlain, I don't know, five years ago. I'm making that number up. But it was a few years back, and it was just duo, just him and Matt. But that was all very heavily composed stuff. Uh, it was cool, but it was kind of a little down, a little a little dark, a little mellow. Okay. But then this record, they got together again, and it's from what I'm understanding, they prepared nothing. They just went into the studio really? and just, just improv so everything you're and hearing on that track was just the result of them spending a few days in the studio just messing around with stuff. So we should let them know the the track that we're talking about is called, was it African Crowley? Yeah. And then is, uh, I didn't, because you sent me a, um, a Spotify link and then I just bought it from iTunes, but really fast. Uh, is it under Matt's name? Is it, it's his album, right? Matt no, Chamber- it's under the both of them. Brian Haas. Oh, it is. Okay. H-A-A-S and Matt Chamberlain. They're just going okay. by, and they just did a little little round of touring on the West Coast. You probably could have seen them had I told uh, you ahead of time. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, I was I was blown away because it it's everything that caused me to fall in love with Critters Buggin' in the first place, um, and it's interesting music. But that's I was going to ask you. Okay, who's it, so is uh, Brian? Is he the pianist? Yeah, exactly. Okay, because that dude's ripping. And, and keyboards and, and synthesizers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. At, at some point it, it hits a little stride where I was like, oh, uh, I don't think – I mean maybe Matt can play a few chords or maybe he can play a little bit. But I don't think that's Matt because that was some serious playing. Um, but no. it, it's incredible. And it's just – it's got such an atmosphere that if you want to sit down and study it, you can. Or if you want to just groove along to it, it's not so out there that you can't jam with it. I mean that, that always bums me out when I'm listening – to something that I really dig, but I know that if I sat down to play it, like I, I couldn't even start. I don't even know where the one is. Yeah, you know, right. It's just like, yeah. all right, I, I can't jam with this. Where with this, you can kind of jam with it. You can yeah. you can have some fun with it. This it's particular track is, is kind of straight. And what what's cool is I there may be some post-production, but I'm fairly certain everything you're hearing was done live in the moment. And I think Matt is controlling a lot of delays and stuff. So he's really... He's looping and, and and applying effects to his own stuff, and he's also applying effects to the keyboard part. Wow. And loops and stuff. So there, I've oh. been following – when I heard they were going on tour, I followed, started following them on Instagram. And at one point, Brian was saying, like, you know, this tour with him and Matt is kind of like going on, going into the cage for a UFC fight. Like, you just have no idea what's going to happen wow. because Matt might decide to loop one of the keyboard parts, and that takes the piece in a totally different direction. And it's pretty wild. It's pretty cool. There's That's a great awesome. EPK on YouTube. You can kind of see the making of the record. Okay. Uh, if you just search Brian Haas and Matt Chamberlain. Maybe we can put that in the show notes because uh, I, I want to see that for sure. I mean, this is brand new to me. Um, when you sent it to me, I hadn't logged into Spotify on my new phone, and so it wanted me to log in. And I was so lazy that every time I kept clicking on the link you sent me, I was like, I'm not logging into Spotify. I'm going to have to type like a bunch of characters and then I'll probably get it wrong because I haven't logged into Spotify in forever. Um, so it wasn't until I think maybe yesterday that I finally bit the bullet and I was like, all right, fine. I'll log into Spotify. And then I was like, oh, this is so good. And I sent it to like three friends and I'm like, 
you gotta check this out and uh yeah he's just he's a flat out pro so uh the song once again is called african crowley uh now does and the album is called prometheus risen right correct Right, yeah, so. If you, so if you YouTube that, Matt Chamberlain, Prometheus Risen, you'll get a couple of videos of them. It's like a short little EPK of them in the studio improving, And you'll, you'll kind of – one of my favorite parts of the record is when this weird vocal thing comes in. You're like, oh, they must have flew in a sample. But they show the making of it and Matt just decided to lean over and yell into the microphones at one point. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so awesome. God darn it. Dig that guy. All right. Well, let's take a listen to it. Seriously, seriously hip stuff. So guys, check that out. African Crowley from the album Prometheus Risen by Matt Chamberlain. And what was the other guy's name? Brian Haas, H-A-A-S. Boom. All right, well, let's talk about some education. This you comes don't want up. my song, man? No, no, no. That wasn't there. We weren't picking songs. Oh, we weren't? No, we're just discussing one track. <laughs> <laughs> you think I would pick your – you sent it to me. I can't steal your song. That was our track. Okay, cool. All did right. you prepare a song? Oh, I bro, did. I feel That's terrible. Cool. That's cool. I would never steal your song. That would be horrible. I <laughs> no, that wasn't going to be my song. I had another song. No, I know, but you sent it to me. I can't pick that. <laughs> no, they're, they're, I should have retitled this segment. It says song picks, everybody, in the rundown. I just meant let's just discuss the track because we both like it. Oh, Whatever, man. man. How about next week you just pick your own song? So in, in the show notes, there will be an extra song. You can check it out if you want to. <laughs> oh, don't be, don't be sad. That's terrible. Oh, now I'm going to get – somebody's going to try to beat me up and be like, what you did to Dawson was just unfair and uncool. Take you outside, Paul. No, that'll be good. I'm Actually, I'm going to send you the link because I think you should watch this whole video and then we should discuss it. Okay. Sounds week. good. That can be our, our segment next week. Well, let's talk about education. So I wanted to talk to you about something that comes up all the time with students and campers, which is how long should I keep working on this thing before I'm ready to move on? How do I know when I can move on? Now, this could be a new groove, a new chop. It could be a rudiment. And that is – there's no exact science for that. And so I just kind of wanted to talk about what we both go through when we're learning something new and we make the decision, okay, I can move on to something else. Um, And I think – most people might be surprised at how long we stick with things, um, or they might not. I, I don't know. And I the, I don't think you and I have really talked about this that much, so I honestly don't know how long you stick with something new. Um, and I, I would assume it was a little bit different for you when you were younger, but as far as learning something new, how long do you stick with something before you feel like you're allowed to move on? Wow. Um, eesh, that's a hard answer, isn't it? <clears throat> I think from depends on what stage of your development you're in. Okay. Like when I was – uh, you know, just really trying to get comfortable playing the instrument. I, I kind of felt like if I could sight read it or if I could, if I had the independence down to play through it and not feel like it was going to fall apart, then I could move on. But that was when I was in like the ga- hunting and gathering stage of drumming where I was just trying everything and, and just testing my own ability. It was mostly coordination, independence, development. Uh, so, I, but I wasn't internalizing that information. Now I'm at the stage where I'm trying to refine and focus and figure out what really matters for me and my mm-hmm. career. And in that regard, 
I mean, I'm still playing the same exercises with the movable click track that I've been doing for five, six years. I mean, it's not, it's, there is no moving on because there is nothing else for me to focus on at the moment. Um, and I don't think it's where it needs to be. So it's tough. I mean, when I'm working with students, I think it's more of when do I see them, their eyes start to glaze over? Like when is, when are you maxed out? When is it just time to say, okay, you're close enough. Let's try something else. Let's just return right. to that next week or, or, you know, it's, it's a dancing game because you, because I want to challenge students, but at the same time, I don't want to frustrate them. I want to have realistic expectations, but I also want to instill a sense of professionalism and, what it takes to take things to the next level. Mm-hmm. So it's always kind of, you know, uh, jousting back and forth. Like, can you, can you play paradiddles cleanly? Okay. Sort of, um, let's try the double paradiddle right. or, or no, you need to go back and just go super slow. It, it also depends on the psychology of the person. Some people yeah, that, love that simple practice. Sure. Um, I've got some restless students who just want to be creative and, and I have to kind of let them roll. And yeah. just hope that one day we'll come back to the fact that he's lifting his foot off the bass drum pedal every single time he hits the bass drum. You know, like <laughs> right. I can't just stop him and say, "Don't play anything until you figure out this bass drum technique." Yeah, I mean, it's it's very similar to if any of you guys out there have ever taken a golf lesson. It's very similar to that, which it's like you just want to hit a long drive, but it's like, but you can't even putt. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, but I can't chip either. And it's like, yeah, but you, you need to keep your elbow in. Why is your head coming? And it's like, holy crap, this is impossible. <laughs> yeah. just, fine, screw it. I'm going to start playing ukulele. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a thing with my students, which is, can you please just realize how many C minuses and Ds you have in all of these subjects and you haven't gotten an A in anything yet? And if you could just get an A in something, you would know what it takes to be great at something, whether mm-hmm. it's a double stroke roll or a paradiddle or a groove. Um, so there's a few different things. One thing that I'll do, let's say that I have a student working on a groove and they are asking me, can I move on? Let's say it's a groove from Future Sounds. What I'll do is I'll say, okay, do me a favor. Play me four bars of a basic eighth note groove, the Steve Jordan beat. Give me that for four bars. Then go into this Future Sounds groove for four bars. Did the future sounds groove feel as comfortable as the first four bars? If not, then you're not ready to move on. You haven't made it feel like a groove. And I think there's a difference between playing a beat and then making that beat groove, and that's that next step. So like you said, it depends on the student. If I've got a student that can barely play drums at all, I'm not going to be really that worried about the feel or the touch because they don't have feel or touch yet. I just want them to get the notes in the right succession. Yeah. If a student's been playing for 15 years, then it's like, I'm sorry, you learning that beat – that is, I don't even consider that as part of, it's almost like not even part of the process. That's a given. You have to learn it. Now it's the control over it, the the dynamics, the ability to even hear outside of yourself. Can you hear that you're rushing or are you so buried in that beat that you can't pay attention to the world around you? Yeah. Um, and then the final thing that I have for my students is I tell them, are you willing to go into a studio right now and track that exercise or that groove or that fill And that's going to be on the CD that comes with the book. You're going to tell the rest of the world this is how to play it. And the reason why I always say that is because I grew up with books that came with audio. And I thought, man, Steve Houghton had to go into a studio and record this. And he's like, this is how the rest of the world should play it. And David Garibaldi had to record all of those grooves. Kim Plainfield, you know. Accountability there. That's I mean, that's right. That might be the answer to the question. Like if you can record yourself and listen back and not hate yourself, then maybe you're you're ready to move on. Because back in the day, I mean, if any of you guys have it, well, I don't know. I mean, I just haven't bought 
books lately um, that came with CDs. But, I mean, you hear Kim Plainfield say, exercise number six, yeah, page 22, <laughs> yeah. one, two. And then he's like all mad. And then he kills it. You know, and I'm like, wow, that dude, it's not like he programmed it in Fruity Loops. I mean, yeah. And I would assume, uh, actually, yeah, probably the re- most recent book is Yost Nichols' Groove Book. You, you know, he's mm-hmm. playing all those grooves, and it's like, okay, so if you feel that you're ready to tell the rest of the world this is how to play a single paradiddle groove, it's like, yeah, you can move on. The other thing is, if if I gave it to you on a piece of paper, it already exists. You didn't do anything. All you did was learn. You plagiarized it from the page that I gave it to you, which is fine. You have to do that. But now it's like I want you to come back next week and show me what you did with it. I want to yeah. actually ask you, like, Wait, what the hell was that? And like, oh, remember that thing you showed me? I just shifted it and started the whole thing on the E. It's like, whoa, yeah, that's so hip. That's a what a great journey. So yeah, that's the hopefully, path. yeah, that's like the yeah. uh, Joe Morello story. I mean, he was George okay. Lawrence Stone's prize student, and every week, because because Stone was like the guy that kind of crushed everybody on technique. Well. Joe went home every week and came up with 10 or 15 variations of every exercise and came back in and that became his own book that became master studies, which is also a a classic. So that's kind of like for me, the, and I heard that story young for whatever reason. So I kind of thought, okay, that's, that's the perfect student, the one who, who absorbs the information and then just goes wild with it and then inspires the teacher to come up with other variations. I think Stone's second book, uh, Accents and Rebounds, is dedicated to Joe Morello because it's a lot of the stuff that he came in and was like, look what I can do with this one and look what I can do with this. He's like, yeah, yeah, Uh, just keep doing that. Keep (laughs) doing that. I'm going to write that down real quick. Uh, That's cool. Well, hopefully, guys, hopefully that helps you understand that maybe stick with something a little bit longer. It's not about collecting as many things and getting them kind of half done. It's about getting a few things done really, really well. I mean, isn't that what we love about Steve Jordan? He doesn't have some endless Uber drummer vocabulary, or if he does, he doesn't use it, but the things he does, he can do better than anyone in the world. And, and, you know, and I I have, I have quite a few pop drummer friends that say the same thing. They're like, dude, I have three fills. I just crush those three fills. Because they work. I mean, it's confidence. Because they work. Yeah, Exactly. That's when we watch. Um, when I have the the campers or my students watch Steve Jordan, there's even times where I'll put it on mute and I'm like, just focus on his face. Yeah. What does that face instill in the audience? Confidence. Yeah. He does not look worried. He's not looking over at Pino like, is this the chorus? Are you sure? Is this the chorus? Like, <laughs> yeah. he's so confident. He's leading the whole thing. So yeah, and awesome. I think that's why. Uh, I, I kind of like we kind of teach speed as as a barometer for for success on, in drumming, and I think it's valid because if you can play. F- fast and then you your technique is at a point where you're not going to just fall apart right so i think it kind of goes with with everything it's a piece of the puzzle yeah when you're yeah. working all this stuff you got to have it down so good and have so much left in the tank that like uh i think it was like benny says it's not taking up so much of your mental space so it just yeah can i be mean a second your hard major. drive yeah yep. yeah i mean your hard drive freezes and that's what we're always i mean those those little things is what I look for in a student. What causes my student's hard drive to freeze? Now I have to invent a get-out-of-jail-free card for them because I, I can't allow that to keep happening to them. And everyone has their own version of it. Um, yeah. Some people just – once they get to that floor, Tom, they're like, well, there's no more right to go. I can't well, – I'm sure as hell not coming back to the left. And I'm like, why, why not? <laughs> like, 
let me let me write you a get out of jail free card. If I give you two kicks after those floor tom hits, those two kicks will buy you time to reset anywhere you want on the drum set. Yeah. You're like, oh, I always just got stuck here. So cool. Well, hopefully that helps you guys out there. All right, let's talk about our featured artist. Featured artist this time is somebody that uh, I've had quite a few dealings with personally over the last five years, and it's been some pretty intimate time. Uh, I spent. I think three full days with him here at the Mike's Lessons facility. Uh, oh, Lionel right. yeah. sent him in. Yeah. And um, so his name is Ralph Peterson. And I will tell you guys, uh, just in case my like that story didn't emphasize what a moron I can be at, at times. Well, that's really not my fault. That's the dude's fault. But uh, <laughs> I got two Ralphs mixed up. So the whole time. Chris Brewer over at Minel said, hey, I'm going to send you Ralph Peterson. He's going to come in and do his thing. And I'm like, that sounds awesome. The whole time I was thinking Ralph Humphreys. Oh, wow. Yeah. The totally, whole time. Totally different coast. Totally different human being. <laughs> and I uh, went to the airport to pick him up. And I was like, hmm, looking around, looking around. And this cat comes up and he's like, you Mike Johnson? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm busy right now. And yeah, Wow. And then I was like, oh, Peterson, I've got it now. Now it's all starting to click. And uh, so after that, we, we got along splendidly. He's an intense, intense man. And it's it's kind of one of those things you hear the stories about the old jazz cats, about Tony Williams, about yep. Buddy Rich, about Miles Davis. And all of a sudden, you're, you're in it. I mean, this yep. guy just flew here from the East Coast to teach on Mike'sLessons.com. And he's wearing a, a really nice three-piece suit. Yeah, I mean that's because yeah. he went out today, so he had to have a suit on, you know. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, it takes you to a different time where people cared about the details on a on a whole different level and, and cared about etiquette. And uh, Ralph is an intense, intense man. Now, do you know Ralph personally? I mean, we've we've talked and met a few different times. I don't know that he would necessarily remember me, but we've you know shared emails and we did the basic interview with him when he performed a couple oh, yeah. of years ago. Oh, so. that was incredible. Yeah, so he's on the cover of the December issue, which is just out now, out on the 27th. So by the time this show goes up, it'll be out and available. Boom. Um, he's never been on the cover, and it's it's funny because he's been on the scene since the 80s. He was kind of – he was in that group with, with Jeff Tane Watts and, and Kenny Washington and all those guys who were like the the guys who got to study underneath the greats of jazz. Right. It's like that's kind of the last of that generation where you know he was art blakey's friend and he i think i'm pretty sure ralph actually was the last drummer in the jazz messengers when art was, Blakey yeah. was still alive but couldn't play yep which is pretty amazing i mean and, and that's that's it right as far as the jazz messengers it's been art blakey and ralph peterson yeah yeah there's never yeah, been it. another drummer in that yeah. band so that i mean that talk about carrying the torch i mean he's <sighs> the guy who invented hard bop hired this guy to be his you know his replacement in his yeah. band so yeah it's it's a pretty sweet spot in history but it's also kind of murky because that was the 80s and jazz wasn't really flourishing it, it kind of made a revival so anyway he's been around forever but he's never been on the cover so the first time i met him was at a delfeo marsalis gig at dizzy's club in new york city he didn't know i was i just reached out and said hey i'm actually no i was <laughs> I was actually there to just to hang out with Adonis Rose, who's a, okay. a great young jazz drummer, younger jazz drummer. He was in Nicholas Payton's band yep. for that second wave of, of jazz revival in the 90s. So anyway, I went there to hang out with Adonis, and Ralph was on the gig 
with Dafeo, so we never met. And Adonis takes me backstage. Backstage at Dizzy's is basically just like a hallway. You're like okay. on top <laughs> of each other. So he comes over, gives me a big bear hug. He's nice to meet you, Mike. Never been on the cover of Modern Drummer <laughs> That's the first thing he said. That sounds perfectly Ralph. <laughs> it was awesome. I'm like, yeah, you're right. You haven't, but you know, hopefully we can make something happen. Uh, so it just so took funny. a while. I mean, he's still been working. The story is, is there's multi-layers. I don't want to give it all away, but he's had some health things. He's had some personal right. things, but he's back full bore. He's you know full-time at, at Berkeley. He's been there forever, so he's been... Man. He's been a mentor for a lot of great young drummers, including Typhon Sori and, you know, tons of people who've studied under him. And if you ever get a chance to see him in clinic, it's the real deal. Like he, it's, uh, I mean, it's unreal. As soon as – guys, just look up Ralph Peterson Pasek. What was that, 2015? Yeah, it might have been or 14. I'm not sure. 2014 or 15. But, yeah, just look it up and insta- it, and just like literally the second he starts playing the ride symbol, you're like, oh. This is an old Bop album, and it's yeah. like no, and it's and I mean, deal. God, he, talk about f- a ferocious drummer, yeah, with pure touch. I mean, he's not yeah. out of control at all, but it's there's just so much going on. But you can hear every note, and yeah. he has pure control over. It. And I mean, like you said, it's the real deal, and that may sound like hyperbole, but as soon as you hear it, you'll go, okay, I know exactly what Mike and Mike were saying. Yeah, he's this got is the all real deal. Language, and one of one of the most effective parts of his presentation because he's he's. Like if you want to study phrasing, he's he's got it. Like everything he plays just is perfectly phrased, and also really intense and musical. But one of the, my favorite parts of his presentation is when he talks about playing melodies on the drums because there's been a trend over the past decade or so of guys like actually playing melodies on the drums, like pitch bending and, right. and reproducing the actual pitches. But he makes a point that that's cool if you want to do that, but if you just if you internalize the shape of the melody, you can play whatever you want, and the audience is still going to know that you're playing that melody. So he makes—he's a great trumpet player too. So he picks yes. up his trumpet, and he just plays all the wrong notes to a to a classic jazz tune, and everyone knows what he's playing because his phrasing is so strong and so you know true to the original. And then he does it on the drums, so that was really inspiring to me. Of like. You don't have to play melodies to be a melodic drummer. You just have to play shapes and phrases and have intention behind what you do. Yeah, he actually went, um, I think it was uh, to Rutgers, or I, I can't remember where he, went, where he went to college, but he went as a trumpet player because he couldn't get in as a drummer. Right, yeah. Yeah, so he was he was playing trumpet in college, and I mean, the dude is a monster. He played his trumpet when he came here, and I was like, oh, wow, you you actually can play, you, you know. When people bring out something other than their main instrument, you're like, oh, God, oh, God, let's just get through this. <laughs> Let me get but my when guitar played, out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. When he played, I was like, oh, you actually play, you know? Um, so very, very amazing guy and deep guy. Have you guy. played his cymbals? Uh, yeah, I actually have them here. Um, similar to the Benny stuff where they are amazing on their own, but they're really amazing when that person plays them. Yeah. You know? And yeah. since I've been through the creation process – there's two ways to go about it. The way that I go about it is very not normal, which is I'm trying to create a symbol for thousands of other drummers. Yeah. That also works for me. These guys, Benny, Ralph, they are obsessed with a sound they hear in their head, and it's kind of like hopefully this works for the rest of the world. I mean, <clears throat> I think Benny's hi-hats, that's a, a beautiful accident that just – 
as far as <clears throat> excuse me, he was making it work for him. But those hi hats, if you want something slightly artistic without getting crazy, those hi hats are fantastic. Yeah. So Ralph's cymbals, they're they're amazing on their own. But when he plays them, they're even better for sure. Are they um, super thin? Like, do they go nuts? No, if you don't play no, them right? no, not really. No, they're they're really um, uh, complex. I would say mm-hmm. you have you would actually have to sit down and dedicate yourself to the ride symbol, the the two rides for a really long time and learn them. You can't just start like, well, this is how I play drums. Deal with it, ride. Like you can't. Yeah. Um, yeah. You actually have to learn that symbol. They're they're very complex symbols. But they're incredible, and you can check those out on Meinl's website. But one thing I wanted to mention before we move on is that Ralph still has one of the most memorable moments and quotes in Mike's Lessons history. Because we've had Stanton Moore here. We've had uh, Benny Greb here. We've had, we've had a bunch of people, and it's very different than – I don't. I'm not hosting them. The way it's worked in the past is when when a drummer comes in, if it's a friend of mine, I'm asking them, "Will you now be an uncle to the Mike's Lessons family? Can I count on you to answer emails if my students ask you yeah. stuff?" And I'm not hosting. Like I'm out of the building almost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like you just take it over, man. Do your thing. So, anyways, when Ralph was here, somebody asked him about practice, and he had the best quote ever, and I've used it a million times. And his quote was. If you're practicing and you wish that someone heard what just happened, you weren't practicing. You were playing. If you wish that no one heard what just happened, then you were practicing. <laughs> yeah, and that's it's nice. and you know what? I mean, that's it's so true because when I owned my first business with um, the Drum Lab, I was the owner and the head teacher, and my teacher at the time, Pete Magadini, was having me work on quarter notes on the ride, and it was so embarrassing to have yeah. other teachers walking by my room while I'm playing quarter notes at 60 BPM and they're all ripping their chops and I'm the owner. I'm the guy. And it's like, oh, my God, this is embarrassing, but I got to do it. And that was practice. That's so. funny. I mean, I got a similar <clears> – <throat> when I was in college, I, I hated practicing drum set in the music building because they weren't soundproof and there were big mm-hmm. windows in some of them. So whenever I would go in, it would – inevitably there would be like other drummers outside just hanging out watching right. and – I was like, I don't want you observing me fumble through four-way independence exercises. <laughs> so I, I didn't practice much in the school because it, it inhibited my practicing because I yeah. felt like I had to like demonstrate I totally see something. That. I could totally is, see that. I guess I should have. That's another challenge to kind of get over yourself and and not worry about being judged while you're practicing. I mean, that's kind of silly, but it definitely no, I happens. Mean, I mean, that, I imagine the real I've never thing. been to Berkeley, but I'm sure that's the same thing. I mean, their practice oh rooms are probably just. They're all stacked. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and and it just, when I'm practicing, I don't want anyone to hear it. It's, it's not fun to listen to, you know, um, I was practicing today. I've got a a drum festival coming up in Mexico and honestly, not even because of this podcast podcast, but Ralph was in my mind. He really was. He was, you know, because even here, people walk in front of my building, and it's not soundproof. And, and honestly, my drum set is butted up to the public ladies' restroom. Nice. The wall it divides us. So I'm thinking like, God, there's there's probably women in there using the restroom and thinking, this guy is terrible. How does he own his own business? But I was working out a concept, and it's like, okay, Ralph told me, if you wish no one heard what just happened, you were practicing. So, guys, check out Ralph Peterson. I think a great place to start for anyone, definitely go back into the history but a great place to start would be that PASIC uh, festival. So whether yeah. it's 2014, just type in Ralph Peterson PASIC and you'll see – because the great thing that I do love about Ralph, you're not seeing some guy that used to be really good. Like yeah, he's still that PASIC solo, he's killing. He yeah. is 
killing. He also uh, has a really good DVD. I hope I hope it's still available. It's called Jazz Drumming Demystified. Really? I, I didn't know that. It's, okay. it's a pretty short. It might only be like an hour, hour and a half long. It's a shorter one. Okay. But he has like his his band, which I think it's most I think it's all Berkeley students. He's he's kind of taken the Art Blakey approach of hiring young band members cool. and, and taking them under his wing. But he kind of covers all kinds of cool stuff, like how to play rudiments in the style of Philly Joe and all and these types really? of things. And he gives you some really good ways of playing syncopation in a jazz style. It's jazz drumming demystified? Demystified, yep. Okay. It's a good snapshot into his methods. Um, and it's there's no filler, that's for sure. And you get no just his, his personality. He's, he's such a, a – I don't know what the word is. He's just a – Big open oh, okay. human. Yeah. He did it with Jazz Heaven. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember when they um they did that and then they did the Eric Harlan stuff. Yeah. Um, Eric Harlan, I believe Ari Honig did one as well. Yeah, so you you can get yeah, there's Ralph Peterson, Eric Harlan, and Ari Honig, and you can get them all on Amazon.com. There you um, go. by the way, uh maybe we'll talk about it next week, but everything uh finally happened with that Amazon deal that I've been working on for like five months. Sweet. It is all official. So we will tell everybody about it because everyone can get something out of it. And and by the way, you don't have to it's not like a buy two, get one free bull crap. I don't do the salesy thing. It's actually <laughs> if you buy pretty much anything for drums, you will get something from Mike'sLessons.com. So nice. uh and we got it going with Amazon US, Amazon Canada, and Amazon UK. So anyways, um but yeah, check out Ralph Peterson. He is absolutely incredible. All right, now it's time for the candy. Well, do we want to do the contest now or do you want to save that for later? You got a word? I got a phrase. <laughs> so it'll be words of the week. Yes. Well I was thinking we could do like that. <laughs> like that. That's perfect. <laughs> just in quotes, like that. <laughs> just so tell them what to do. All right. So we are having our second Modern Drummer podcast giveaway. So email mdinfo at moderndrummer.com with two words like that, and you'll be entered into the giveaway, which will include a free subscription, a Modern Drummer stick bag, and a few Modern Drummer Festival DVDs. Beautiful. Uh, like DVDs. that. Like that. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com. Yes. And you can even go full out and go one, two, one, two, three, four. <laughs> like that. All right. Let's get into the candy. So I was confused as all hell. I, I'm telling you, man, as as somebody that's a minor artist, so really my, my biggest, I guess, familiarity would be Heisty and Minel, because those are the two companies I've played for. But obviously, I'm a huge fan of gear in general. I love Zildjian. I love Sabian. I love all the offshoot brands. I can't keep the names straight. So when you said we're going to do the Zildjian Avidis series, I was like, I, don't they make those already? So this is the – is this the A Avidis vintage symbols? No. It is what the just, hell? It's Avidus. It's just called the Avidus series. Oh, it's not even Avidus. Yes, yeah, Avidus. Starting now. <laughs> Sorry about that, Ryan Lotz. <laughs> Ryan <Okay>. Lotz. <laughs> uh, just kidding, Nate. Okay, so the Zildjian Avidus yes, series. exactly. So their A series is technically called also the Avidus series. Okay. But it's so, kind okay. of just universally known as the A series. I got it. This is part of the, the A style, but they went back to the original – Avidus line, which was what Avidus Zildjian first introduced to the United States when he created the company here. Okay. Uh, so these were the symbols that Joe Jones and Buddy Rich and Joe Morello and all these guys were using. So they just you know grabbed some of the old ones from the vault and just recreated them. 
similar to gotcha. what they did with the Corope line a few years back, where they took some old Ks okay. and and you know checked the profile, checked the bell shape, checked the weight, checked the lathing, the hammering, and and did their best to recreate them. This is recreating those old As from the. I mean, he he. Let's see. I, I think they kind of focused on the fifties. They kind of combined it, so they did the hollow Zildjian logo, which was was what they did in the seventies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But the symbols themselves are more like the fifties style As. Um, they're you know they're thinner. They they patinaed them so they look aged. Yeah. They're using the, uh, they're actually using Avidus's signature from his passport um, back in the that's day. That's awesome. That's the logo, and that's it. Like and no man, other. it's a it's a classy logo. So the, I mean, there's no Zildjian logo on the top at all. No, unless it's unless it's laser engraved, but I can't see it. They, yeah, they have their you know their trademark stamp, but that sure. you can't see it. And there's no like indication of size or anything on the top side. It's it's all on the bottom. Yeah, and, the, and then they're not designating them as they're just symbols. It's it's you know I mean the twenty, the twenty one, and the twenty two are just crash rides. So I'm assuming they're just considered. Yeah, they're 20 just inch symbols. Whatever you want to use them for. There's there's right now there's three sizes of hi-hats, 14, 15, and 16, and then five sizes of crash rides, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. <laughs> Dude, I mean, you actually know cuz you've heard them, but I, as you were talking, I'm on their website right now. I'm on zildjian.com and they have really good samples of these. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dude, they're that's pretty sweet. Yeah. No, I mean, I <laughs> It's it's just funny talking about Ralph Peterson, the real deal. Yeah. As soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my god, I'm like transported to the mm-hmm. 1950s. This is yeah, it, exactly. the hi hats, the ride. Wow. Um, as a minor artist, I got to say these are wow. I wasn't ready for that. And you can, I mean, as expected, they they grabbed Zach Danziger again to help develop these. So you know, Zach knows gear, and because he was, you know, he had a major role in in doing the Coropes as well. Uh, and I talked to him a bit about it, and this, the conversation was basically, well, you know, I end up using old A's a lot in the studio because the K's are just too dark and too complex. So I'm using all these old A's. I'm like, well, right. why don't we redevelop these and, and have some new old sounding A's? Wow, and they're 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 well priced. I mean, is do you know what metal these are made out of? These B20s? I would assume it. Yeah, it's just okay. the standard Zildjian. Yeah, so I mean, this is. This isn't like a budget symbol. These are these are well priced. I mean, you're looking at, um, let's see, what's a twenty inch ride, three sixty nine. So that's kind of industry standard for a twenty inch symbol. Yep, um, exactly. So, and I'm assuming I, I don't think that's a list price. I think that's the sale price. So um, that's pretty cool, man. And yep. I do like the one thing I got to say about their website. God, their website's simple to navigate. But um, one thing I really like is that you can actually click on a button to see which artists are playing these symbols. And yeah. I think that's really helpful because sometimes <clears throat> you might know just as a casual fan, like, well, I know my buddy or my friend or well, not even my friend. I I know that this guy is a Zildjian artist. I just don't know what he uses. Mm-hmm. Um, or it might be something where you're like, well, let me just see who plays this. And then you see this collection of nine drummers where you're like, oh, those are like my favorite guys. Okay, yeah. cool. I'll, I'll check this out. So, um, so, so, what was how how often did you get to play these? Did you take them on gigs and stuff? Yeah, I used them for a, for a long while. They ended up on a handful of recording sessions, a handful wow. of gigs. Because um, I I love old A's. I've talked about them on the show before. Yep. I I have a, a whole bag of a whole set of old A's that I use that just I love. the The hi hats are definitely not as thin as the original old A's. I think we talked about it before. Yep. Like back back in the twenties to the I guess the late fifties before the new beat was invented, they were just thin top and bottom symbols. There was no top or bottom. 
Like right, there's just, no designation. These are not like that. They're more of a new beat style with a heavier bottom, but not as extreme. Like the new beat has okay. a really heavy bottom. These just have slightly heavier bottoms. Got it. So they're kind of like splitting the difference between the real papery vintage hi-hat and the, the crispy new beat sound. Uh, the 14s are all-purpose, great. 15s, a little bit deeper. The 16s I actually favored because like they're they're big, so the pitch is low, but since they're the A-series, they're the tone is brighter. So it's like a great happy medium between big sloshy hi-hat and a, a, a kind of a crispy high-end. They were a lot of fun. Um, the crashes were cool because I guess the patina finish kind of mutes them a little bit. Okay. So you're getting less of the kind of ear-splitting high-end and more of the kind of comfortable low mids and stuff. Yeah, they sound warm without... I think warm right now is getting attributed to a different adjective, which is trashy yeah. um these actually just sound warm without that china overtone yeah they're very the trash. clean very clean yeah yeah mm-hmm. so and they also have a slightly uh muted decay so they don't they don't just wash out forever gotcha which was great for recording so they you hit them and they kind of get out of the way evenly and they're not just ringing for days um i did find on loud gigs the crashes don't give me enough sustain like if like okay. i was kind of punching them a little bit too much to get the sound that i wanted out of them uh, but they record amazing. Anything that's kind of medium volume and down, there, there's no complaints at all about them. They're they're definitely great all purpose, and they just they look cool. I definitely like the look of them. Um, I don't know that I'm going to sell all my old A's just yet, right. but but they do offer something nice. I mean, I think the regular A's are kind of like your classic bright sound. These are similar to that without the, with the high end kind of rolled off, which makes them okay, great for so- the studio. So still, because I'm trying to decipher the naming situation. So they still have the A's, which is the traditional current model symbol, yeah. and then they have the Avidus. Avidus, just like you they sure have. his name wasn't Avidus because that's way cooler. <laughs> you know, actually, I think there's been a, 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 a what do you call that? A dispute from from people who speak Turkish uh-huh. that they would say Avidus, I believe, but it's Avidus is how everyone at Zildjian pronounces okay. it. That, hey, that's that's always my barometer. You call the company <laughs> and just say, "Yeah, I'm interested in that uh, 20 inch A," and they go, "Oh, the 20 uh, inch A Avidus," and you go, "Thank you." Click. <laughs> just need to hear you say it. That's all I wanted. Yeah. So the A series is like their regular all-purpose. Got it. So they symbols, still have that, just like they have the K series, but then they have the Karopes, which Got is it. vintage style. So the K is the sense. contemporary, darker sound. The Karope is the old school remake. The A is a contemporary bright sound. The Avidus is the old school remake of those. Got it. Got it. Okay, perfect. Well, let's give him a listen.
Well, those sound sweet. <laughs> All right, let's get into some questions. We're going old school, bringing the paper out. We got paper. We got a few questions, and we got a really great letter that I, I wanted to share with everyone. So okay. Let's do a couple questions first before we get all heavy with the letter. Uh, so this one comes from Chad. Um, he's teaching privately out of his home studio or his drum studio in Tucson. He's collected practice material of books and exercises over the past 10 years. Um, all the material was given to him by previous teachers, and some of it is old curriculum from music schools and colleges. So he wants to know, what is the rule when it comes to teaching other people's material that you've been taught? For instance, if I give my students exercises from an old Berkeley school curriculum or one page out of a book like Stick Control, could I be sued for plagiarism or anything like that? I'm not oh. selling their material directly, but I do make specialized individual curriculum for each one of my students and it's compiled, as previously mentioned. But he does get paid for the lessons. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a, an educator's privilege or something like that. I ran into that when I was helping Gil Sharon do his DVD, uh, Wicked Beats. Okay. There was something – there's some sort of technicality of, of educator privilege or something. I have to ask my, my, my entertainment lawyer friend that if you're not selling the content, there's no, there's no harm, no foul. Right. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> – that's the premise I've always gone on. I've never checked it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I, I kind of feel there's a little bit of a parallel between uh, maybe Spotify and does Spotify cause – even if you pay for it. Uh, you sent me a track on Spotify and then what did I do today? I went to iTunes and I bought it, right? right. So, um, And I do pay for Spotify. But I, there's just something about buying music. I, I like it. So there's a lot of times where my biggest fear is – is the student getting the book that scares me it's like no no no. i just need you to work on these three measures out of future sounds groove study number one please don't get the book you will start flipping around and you'll yeah. learn 900 things and you won't get any of them down so i'm going to photocopy this for you and then when i feel that you're ready i'll say you know what you've done enough i want you to own this book i want you to own beyond bop by john riley or the essence of brushes by ed thigpen so so I, I've always used other people's materials because I, I think that they are the organizer of the notes and nothing more. Um, the yeah. notes have always existed. They just put them into these three measures in a row. And um, and honestly, it's like, well, am I going to rewrite this whole thing myself? Or it's they already did it. So, so I, yeah, I haven't had much of a problem doing that. Um, and I, I encourage everyone on Mike's lessons. I always tell them, like, even if you're adv an advanced drummer – Still watch the beginner lessons and use my beginner PDFs to teach your students. I don't mind that at all. I'm just organizing the notes into into a, a page for you. So yeah, and I think we so, would yeah. be. I mean, we we would all be sued for plagiarism because literally nothing is invented anymore. I mean, right. it's all versions of stuff. I did look it up. It's called the Fair Use and Public Policy. Okay. Um, so let me just read through some of this. I can't I can't verify that this website is 100 percent accurate, but says the judiciary created fair use and Congress codified the doctrine to balance the public interest against the exclusive rights of authors. Um, the court's case-by-case -case evaluation is necessary to fulfill the primary purpose of copyright, which is to promote the public good. The Supreme Court upheld the important public interest in fair use in a Sony versus Universal City Studios case. Uh, which the court emphasized that when a use increases the benefit to the public without causing substantial harm to the copyright owner, the goals of copyright are served best by finding the use fair. So 
education is the nation's, the nation's paramount public interest. So given the fundamental goals of copyright, educational uses of copyrighted materials serve as important public function. Educational photocopying disseminates otherwise unavailable information to students and scholars. It encourages the creation of new works and facilitates development of existing information. Without substantial harm to the copyright owner, educational photocopying promotes the progress of knowledge and the public interest. There you go. Does that, that make any really, sense? Yeah. Well, I <laughs> fell asleep halfway through, but I woke up at when you said photocopying, and I was like, this is all I care about because that's the only one that I'm guilty of. I mean, well, I think that's, it, it basically means as cool. long as you're not copying the book and selling copies of the book, exactly. you're just sharing information. It's fair use, It's it's and that's you're it. promoting – Hopefully that student will take that and create its own new information. I think there's just intent, you know. I mean, the, like when people ask me, because I've had people ask, like, "Hey, you know, I, I pay for your website. Can I can I use your PDFs with my students?" And it's like, yeah, just don't cut off the top and then put your website logo right. on. It. Like, <laughs> right. yeah, of course, print it out, you know, and tell them where you got it from. And um, yeah, I, I've never thought that, like, oh my gosh, if I so if I show someone Mark Juliana's new book, they're gonna quit taking lessons with me. You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> Dude, yeah. I'm happy to show you who also teaches and, and where I get this stuff from. Actually, my pick of the week is a book. So, um, well, that's awesome. Hopefully that helps, buddy. Yeah, next question comes from Gordon Love. He says, what would you recommend for a drummer with plenty of band experience who wants to become more technically proficient on the instrument? Uh, there's an overwhelming amount of material online, so he's a, a bit of a loss where to start. He's not a beginner. Mm-hmm but he needs help sharpening his skills. I would like to get to a level where I can play and write more complex grooves and just be able to play a range of styles comfortably. I'm going to go ahead and plug your website for you so you don't have to do it. <laughs> uh, I do think with the, with your development of the courses, it would be good for any drummer to just buy a month subscription, go through the courses, and kind of see where you're at. And then that will kind of establish your baseline. Uh, my other suggestion is you have to go find a private teacher who can assess where you're actually at. Yeah, I don't think there's any. We couldn't say you have to have syncopation and stick control mastered because maybe that's not that doesn't align with your goals or align with your current ability. Right. There's no way we're we're not magicians to be able to say and it's not same for everyone. Maybe you no, really absolutely. struggle with time. Maybe your time's great, but you struggle with independence, or maybe. Your dynamics need a lot of work. We just we just don't know. So you have to get with a professional. Yeah, I agree. And I think the one the one place the courses really help is they just point out your weak spots that you assumed. Well, I thought I had that down. You know, um, actually, my pick of the week was gonna be this is, but it was too self promotional. But it was gonna be the courses on mikeslessons dot com because after teaching camps for five months where my drumming is not the focus at all, I went through the advanced hand speed course because. I just haven't practiced a lot, and I and my hands were at a place when I filmed that that they are not at anymore. Yeah. So I just went through it, and I mean, I, I don't watch my own videos. I just use the BPMs that I had set at the time, and I was like, oh my gosh, if I had to refilm this course right now, I couldn't play it. I can't play that fast. So I was just using it to work myself up. So I think that would be a good place to start. I totally agree with the private instructor thing, and you might even find something where instead of taking lessons at a music store, maybe you just find the dude in town or the lady in town that's kind of running the show and just say, Hey, can I just come in once a month or once every two months and pay you whatever for an hour private lesson, just as a checkup. You know, I have a lot of people that live in the Bay area and they come here once a month or once every two months. And they, they're not asking for like weekly lessons. They just need that checkup for somebody 
to be impartial and look at the situation and say, okay, look, this is what's happening. This is what you need to focus on. So yeah. I think that would be great. Yeah, cool. Boom. All right, one more question that I wanted to read through that letter. So this one sure. comes from um, Stefan, I believe is how you would say this. Stefan, he uh, – first of all, he said he ordered a buyer uh, 6.5 by 15-inch snare drum after nice. listening to our demo, which is awesome. I mean I used that drum again on another session, and it just kills. Uh, so congratulations. And let me know how you like it. Maybe send some recordings. So, Stefan, your question is, uh, I have always chosen cymbals uh, based on size and pitch. But now that he's learning more about the different qualities of a cymbal, he's, he's curious, um, how do you take all these characteristics, whether it's explosive, trashy, washy, dry, or whatever, into consideration when adding a new cymbal to your setup? Mm. Do you go with certain characteristics based exclusively on the style of music you would play with them, or do you try to have a certain range of options in a particular setup? Great um, question. And then the second part of that is when you're working on you know, writing songs or parts and stuff, do you consciously have a mindset for hitting certain crashes for certain effects or certain parts of a song? Hmm. I, yeah, I mean, well, let's tackle the first part first. Um, for me... It's pretty simple. I start with ride, crash, and hi-hats, and that's it. I make sure that my ride, crash, and hi-hats all complement each other, and then I wait until I'm singing something that isn't on my drum set. Um, mm. if, if my three cymbals can cover the gig and cover the situation, then that's fine. But there are times where I'm thinking like – and this actually relates to the second part. There's a sound in my head where I want to hit a crash that almost has a little bit of China-ness to it. And it hangs out for like maybe a quarter note and a half of time to buy me time to get somewhere else on the kit. It's almost like a pause button. And an 18-inch crash isn't going to do that for me. So I have my 20-inch extra thin hammered crash. And I I hit it and it goes, and it has this long decay. And it's it's like, cool, I need that on my kit. And then at some point, I might hear something a little more choked. And that's where it's like, oh, I wish I had a stacker. So everything is a response to what I'm wishing for on the kit. Um, mm. Now, obviously, my situation is quite different than most people. I play by myself in clinic and drum festival situations. But even when I was playing in bands, it was it was very similar. It was like uh, I went to you know I want to I want to do SBB. That's like in the Deftones world, SBH and SBB. SBH is snare bass hats, black and <laughs> and then SBB is snare. Um, snare bass bell black and ting and if you have like a flat ride and you go black a hey then it's not going to work so it's like oh man I need like an 8 inch bell stuck to a ride but that's because there's a sound that I'm hearing and I need to create that what about you man yeah I mean it's pretty much the same I think <clears throat> I think you have to have a home base you kind of have to you can't expand your palette until you have like the, the essentials so it's kind of Agreed. the first thing I consider is what am I going to be playing most often or doing most often and what type of ride symbol would be the one that could cover all of that? Could it cover some some rock stuff, some jazz stuff, some studio stuff, some, you know, can it do all that? So, and that's kind of, I pick that ride symbol. I'm still kind of on a quest for the perfect ride, but I have a few that kind of fit that bill. Then it's hi-hats. You know, I'd go with the, th yep. I don't want to go too thin on my kind of all-purpose hats because when I play rock, they're just going to disappear. I don't want to go too heavy because then if I'm playing jazz, they just sound like chunky plates. Uh crash you either go i i hear bigger crashes so my one crash yep. is is usually an 18 of some sort okay 
I wouldn't go 16 because then that doesn't give me the crash ride sound that I would need. Like I think if I can do a gig with, with just those three cymbals, a ride, one crash, and a pair of hi-hats, it's usually an 18-inch crash because it's the most versatile. And then I expand from there. Uh, I, I don't. You know, because I and I'm I'm always buying and selling and experimenting and trying new stuff. But I think you have to have your basics covered before you get into the real kind of trashy, funky stackers and totally. all that kind of stuff. I totally agree. As far as hitting symbols in different parts of the song, I do that do that quite deliberately. So I don't use very often more than two crashes of ride and hi hats. But I'll swap where I put the crashes depending on the effects that I need. So if it's a song I know I'm going to be doing a lot of crash riding, I'll put the 20 on the right. If And so I'll leave the one on the left for shorter kind of impact accents. If it's the opposite where I know I'm going to be doing a lot of real sharp accents and stuff, I'll put that smaller crash on the right so I can hit that from like an open stance. Sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's pretty deliberate. I mean, as far as... I mean, if I had a million symbols, I guess I would be more like you think more melodically and stuff. But it's usually just for me. Do I need a short sound or a long sound? Should it be on the right or the left? And that's it. That's kind of it. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, there's um, – it just depends on that. You know, like you said, if I'm going to or bash a lot of choruses out on a crash, then I'm going to need a 19 to a 20 over on my right. Um, over my ride symbol. So awesome. Well, I hope that helps, man. And I think Mike and I both have the same advice, which is strip things down to hat, crash, and ride and start from there and then and then pay attention to what is needed. What are you missing that you can't do with those? Yeah. Um, and it's okay that, you, you know, we're not saying that like, well, if you can't do it with that, you just can't play. What we're saying is when you start with that, then things will appear and you'll be like, man, I, I wish I had like a splash. And it's like, well, then get a splash. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah and I think, so. I mean, I toured with just a ride symbol and hi-hats, and it, it was, you know, can I get the crash effects I need out of this ride yeah. symbol? And that yeah. was what determined which ride symbol I used. And totally. not once during those 35 shows did I wish for another sound because I I could get everything I want out of that one symbol. Yeah. So that might be a good way to do it too is, is just break it down to just those two elements and then say this ride either isn't cutting it or there's no possible way a ride symbol could give me that extra sound I'm looking for. So let me um, go get something. Yeah, cool. so get something now. So I want to read this letter from um, his name is Yavuz or Yavuz. He's from Germany. I'm sorry, I'm butchering your name. Yavuz or Yav Yavuz, Y A V U Z. Um, he's a 30 year old drummer from Germany. He says uh, he wants to thank us for our work. Um, you don't know how much you've helped me this year. I had a bad time the first half of the year. Um, essentially, he. It was on his 30th birthday. Um, he had a big gig and a birthday party to play. He was he got really sick and went to the doc, doctor. He ended up not being able to play drums or work, which then spiraled into him getting panic attacks and depression and all of this. So this was six wow. months ago. Okay. Uh, he said it was the heaviest time in his life, and he really needed some help um, for everything that he could do. You know, he couldn't stand to be alone and all and all kinds of things. So he said um, he found help in his family and friends and also in the podcast. It was good to hear right. how uh, – hear you talk about music and drumming and just having fun with, with our beautiful instruments. So uh, during the time he's listening to the show, he forgot everything and only concentrated on what we were talking about. It helped him a lot. So he wanted to thank us from the bottom of his heart. Um, He's not the type of person that will give up easily. He worked hard on everything in his life. Um, he's already playing again. 
Good. And he's back to making music and having a great time. So he just wanted to write to us and just thank us. So thank wow. you for listening and for making it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and reminding Mike and myself why we started doing this in the first place. You exactly. Know? Um, and that people actually we, listen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got one in Germany. That's all that matters. I'll I still, take it. I still keep the headspace of no one's listening. So when yeah. we butcher Nick Lotz's name, it's, it's okay. Then no one will rip me on Twitter and be like, hey, your little thermos has been out for 16 years, you moron. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for being so polite. Keep it positive. Well, man, that's really cool because I think I know a big drive for me in wanting to do this podcast in the first place was because I used podcasts as my vacation from reality. They were just – they, I just forgot about my day, and it was like, cool. I'm just, you know, I, I listen to sports podcasts. I listen mainly to the Dan Patrick Show podcast, just because I don't know anything about sports as far as playing it. I, if you throw a football at me, it'll hit me in the face. Um, but it just took my mind off of drumming and competition and who's got the coolest licks and chops, and uh, you know. And so I, I used it as a vacation, and in. Hopefully, this podcast for you guys is that, and we don't talk about who's got the coolest chops and who's got the coolest licks. I mean, that's the least important thing to Mike and I. We just want all of you guys to enjoy sitting down at this frustrating instrument and just having some fun and and making small, small, tiny improvements every day. If you can do that, trust me, it will all add up, and you will start to enjoy this instrument a lot more. So, yeah, That's really cool, though. All right, let's get into the picks of the week. What do you got, bud? Mine is a piggyback on last week when I suggested everyone get a pair of 2B sticks. Um, mm-hmm. This week I said just everyone get a pair of combo mallet and drum sticks. Um, mm. I always have them in my stick bag, and they come in very, very helpful on gigs when I need to just play like a cymbal swell, and I don't want to hear the sticks you know, crashing yeah. on the cymbal, which is, sounds really professional. Uh, so I use those for that, and also recording. They're great. I have an option to do you know rolls and things, but it's also a really cool effect when you play grooves on the snare yes. drum with the mallet side. It just puts you in a whole different frame of mind. Yeah, uh, it's really effective, even on gigs, and not when you're just playing light or with the snares off. You can, you no, can totally. play regular beats with that mallet side, and it's just a cool sound. Yeah, it does. It's not as um, as Aaron Sterling would say. It's not as pointy. Yeah, it's um, just a, it's a cool and sometimes you hear like Sigur Rós and bands you're like how are they getting their drums to sound so puffy? I mean they, he's playing right. the beat with mallets. Um so the the pair that I have in my bag currently, I've tried them all. I've 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 blown through a bunch, but these are Regal Tip Blast EX stick mallets. So they have a a black nylon tip and a black felt covered mallet on the back side. Cool. I've also used the Vic Firth. I don't know what they call them, but it has like the Bolero tip with a yep. timpani mount on the other side. It's just another cool sound, and it's a dual-purpose tool, so you can flip it around and play normal, or you can do you know quick rolls and stuff. So any any mallet stick combo is my pick. Nice, man. That's awesome. My pick this time is, and it might I might have picked this in the past. We're, we're sixty-five episodes deep, so no, it's tough. At I, some point, it's like uh, <laughs> I wanted to repeat myself too. Yeah, my pick of the week is a drum key that also is a quadcopter. Like, I don't know. I'm running out of stuff to pick. But uh, this is uh, when I was looking up uh, Ralph Peterson's stuff on Amazon, one of the – they had a bunch of books underneath it. And there was just a really um, influential book in my past that was sitting there. And it's called West African Rhythms for Drum Set. Love that book. Uh, Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, 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 Hardigan? 
Yep, exactly. Yeah. I studied that sucker hard in college. Man, I am the Gahu Siki Sichi <laughs> guy, man. Um, and the CD is awesome. You know, he's like yeah. Batuke, and then like a, a rhythm comes in, Afroche, and then like another rhythm comes in. You're like, what the hell? Um, and then you have to sit there going like, so I'm supposed to do that on the kit, and yeah. you can. Um, and and I love it because it's a little bit of a history book and it's it's just information on the area so it's not that you're just it's not what you would think you don't just open it up and there's a bunch of beats it's like okay well here's the percussion parts then here's where you're going to play it on the kit this is the uh, whole paragraph on the tribe that plays this groove and this is why they play that groove so i think for any educator out there if you want to really get into world rhythms especially west african rhythms I think this is a great book. And and one thing that you'll start to notice, if you study Brazilian drumming and then you start to study Cuban drumming and then you get into African drumming, you'll start to recognize where the influences come from. One thing that's really heavy in African drumming is melody. And so when I hear any groove that's super rhythmic but has a lot of melody, I think, oh, that's got to have African influence. So mm. when you hear uh, – if I hear almost all rhythm, I'm like, oh, that's very Cuban. But then when I hear – that rhythm and then there's a melody on top. I'm like, oh, that must be Afro-Cuban. There must be some African influence there because they'll a lot of times create very cool melodies out of only two pitches or maybe at the most three. And since you have a rack and a floor, you can easily do it. So, yeah, yeah check out great. West African Rhythms for the Drum Set by Royal Hardigan and uh, you can get it on Amazon for like 23, 24 bucks. So, there's, so. I want to share a little nerdy moment with you. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I studied this book and I studied, you know, I was an African drumming ensemble in college So in in I didn't dive in as deep as a lot of my my uh, classmates did. Some of them, I mean, they're still playing with that ensemble now as professionals. Wow! But there was one one theory that we never quite investigated. So you know the supporting drum part that plays on the second and third note of the triplet. So it's one eighth note on the second note, and then two sixteenths on the third. Trip. Yes. So that supporting drum part is very common in, in a lot of African dances. Yeah. If you shift where the downbeat is, that actually sounds like a fast swing pattern. Swing pattern, yeah. And so we we would spend hours trying to place fast swing and then inserting the the African clave rhythm, which isn't going to be on the downbeat. It comes in in a weird spot in the phrase to make it fit with that permutated supporting oh. drum part. Wow, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, were you thinking of it though in terms of the history, like? Maybe it's where we got the swing pattern from. I'm thinking it might have been just a misinterpretation of a of, okay. a, of an African rhythm. Um, and right. there's a, there's yeah. other theories um, that the swing rhythm is actually a, a Native American rhythm. It's not an African mm. rhythm. And so there were, there's theories that in New Orleans, when because a lot of the the slaves were going out into the they were living with American Indians, Native American Indians. They were becoming part of their tribes, so their wow. music was melding. So there's some theories that the swing is actually an, an American Indian thing, not an African thing. Wow. So I don't think anyone's confirmed it. These are just things that we would geek out on. But that, that one supporting drum, so it's an, it's triplets, but it, you only play the second of the triplet, and then you play two sixteenths on the third part of the triplet. If you play that over and over again and then just lose track of the downbeat, it sounds like fast it's, swing. It, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So then you, then you take that, put that on the ride cymbal, and then try to get that that bell pattern back in accurately oh. with the displaced uh, supporting drum part. Kind of cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, maybe I'll, I'll thumb through the pages and maybe we could even play, uh, make a video. I'll play like 
some parts and you play some parts and we'll just put the two together. Uh, (laughs) Uh. (laughs) (laughs) We can do it. We can do it. Oh man! Uh, next week we got to talk about the two mic setup. I I, yeah. I got those that I just put up a video. Actually, right now it's a one mic setup, and the kit sounds insane. So Is it what you you know I noticed because I, I watched some of your live lesson yesterday. Was it? Uh-huh. Yeah, you were using it yesterday, right? Yes. It sounded like you going from the lavalier mic to the drum mics. There was no transition. Really? Uh, it, it sounded like you were just using the same mics. <sighs> I think that's what that's, you wanted, right? That's what I want. I want you yeah. to feel like you're in the room with me. Yeah, there was no like vacuum suck of when the mics come oh, on. It just went heaven. straight in. I was like, is he just using that mic for his vocal too now? What's going on there? Oh, that's so cool. That's great yeah. to hear, man. Well, I just put up a video on Instagram, which is like the first test of it. Because um, when I did that live lesson, I'd only had those mics for about an hour. So there was yeah. no e- – I had. I mean it was whatever the EQ settings were for the, from the last mic. I literally plugged them in. But I'm, I'm in heaven. So we'll talk uh, maybe – um, we can ha- save a segment for that that mic in general because I can inform people because it looks very different than a normal large diaphragm condenser. And there's some things that Audio-Technica went way out of their way to develop for that microphone. So we'll talk about that later. But for now, my friend, I've got to teach a live lesson in twenty in 36 minutes. Oh, and the, um, the word of the words of the week is? Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, please do that on your next gig. It was shot, and dude, this is a two-hour gig, so I had to do that for like ten, or I had to do that for like twenty songs. I had to sit through that. I had to like eventually predict it, and I was like, Almost "Oh god, like the guy had Tourette's or something." It was the weirdest thing, and it was like someone told him, "I don't know." I, I I could never explain it, and it's so ingrained. I couldn't make that up. There's you can't make that up. I've told that story a million times because. I was like, I don't want to gig ever again in San Luis Obispo. If they count you in in a random time signature, because it's one, two, one, two, three, four, then the words like that. So like that. Yes. In the info at moderndrummer.com, enter to win. We will pull a winner next week. So you have to get your entries in before next Wednesday because that's that'll be our cutoff. We had a few that straggled in at the end of the last time and unfortunately I'd already, we've already recorded the, the following. Didn't make episode. the cut. Like that. All right, everybody. Have a great week. We will see you next time. See ya.